0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's the Managing Director of Invitus Consulting, and he also founded Signage Boutique Consultancy in 2006. He held several senior positions in the communication and travel industry before focusing on trends and strategies in digital signage and digital out-of-home. Invidus Consulting is a renowned European consulting firm for digital signage with expertise in consulting, research, communications, and events. It is my pleasure to welcome Florian Rothberg. Welcome, Florian. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure having you. So Florian, you know, there's a growing emphasis in smart cities and smart enterprises, also known as industrial IoT. How does digital signage play a role in this industry?
1: Well, to be honest, um, digital signage is not so much in the smart city thing, but more on the retail side of things, the point of sale. Because that's where sensors really play an important role. And in the past, when you look back 10 years ago, when digital signage really became, you know, the bigger thing in the retail sphere, um, digital signage was quite passive. It was a silo installation. So people put up some screens, but there was no interaction whatsoever. And this has changed a lot in the past years. You know, with more and more sensors coming in and more and more companies and retailers are now putting in small sensors so consumers can interact with the screens and obviously you get a more precise, more detailed message to every consumer.
0: Interesting. So how does that work? What are some of the use cases with people interacting with the digital signs?
1: Well, the problem is there are a lot of use cases, uh, but not many business cases. <laughs> um, as most retailers and especially most system integrators, you know, love technology, but they often forget, you know, if there is there a real business case behind it, A, and B, um, is there a cultural acceptance of that? Because basically you can do everything. You can measure everything and looking at China, for example, facial recognition is everywhere there. Yes. And would, it, would it be possible in North America and Europe? No way. Because, you know, cultural acceptance is very different to that. So it's not so much about where you can put them, but where it really makes sense and where they add value. And um, many retailers and many system integrators are still, you know, trying out where it really makes sense, where it adds value. Um, but more and more are coming. So, for example, in a, in a shop environment, a POS, you know, a person comes up to a screen and the, the content changes, for example. So you have different content to attract people to the screen. And once a person comes closer than three feet or so, the content changes to a more personalized message. So that's something where you just have a simple sensor. Obviously, you know, you could put in, you know, um, various forms of of sensors and IoT devices really to interact with consumers. And um, one of the biggest challenges we're currently facing are like integrating Alexa and things like this because you don't see them. So how do you tell people, consumers coming to the store that, you know, there's Alexa, there's a microphone, you can speak with the shelf. We're not used to speaking with shelves. At least not our ages, you know, my little kids, they do don't—they—they wouldn't mind at all. But most consumers, you know, are not used to that. So that's something where we still have to get, get accustomed to that and probably have to put some floor graphics also. Please speak to the, to, the, to the shelf or get some more information there. So these are more of the basic challenges we see. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how, how that uh, progresses, especially as voice technology becomes more and more prevalent.
1: Yeah, and, and with voice, um, we have probably a bigger challenge in Europe than you guys have in the U.S., because we have so many accents, we have so many languages. And when you talk about Alexa or Google or whatever is available, it works quite well in English, but it only works in US English and British English. If you go to India or other places, it's getting really more difficult or Singapore, for example. But over here in Europe, it's way, way more complicated. Switzerland, I'm, I'm Munich-based, so right on the Swiss border. In Switzerland, they have four national languages there. And they still haven't introduced, can you imagine? There's still no Amazon and no Alexa in Switzerland. Unbelievable, huh? people would think that. They're all over the place, but they're not.
0: <laughs> I imagine uh, it'll have a problem with Scottish as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's the that's thing, that which is a little bit challenging, but obviously, you know, this will be
1: resolved in, in, in due time and then it's getting, more, it's getting more and more. People are getting used to it and they interact more naturally with this shelves so or with this product.
0: Right, now let's delve a little bit deeper into the interaction with uh, people, let's say at the mall. Uh, you know, people are very paranoid about uh, Big Brother spying on them and, and the data privacy. How do you uh, deal with complying with data privacy and protection rules, as well as also being able to provide that personalization that customers want?
1: It's a very thin line. Basically, first, we have to talk about GDPR. I'm not yeah. sure if all of your re- viewers are uh, know about that, but that's our big private data privacy law, which came into effect in May this year in Europe. But to be honest, it was also, you know, the blue copy, the, the, the copy for California. They're looking at uh, introducing a similar law. And it's very, very new regulations, which really makes it difficult to collect data. To be honest, you know, looking from the consumer side, obviously, you know, it protects consumers about what data, uh, what data is collected and whatnot and uh, that consumers have a right to you know that companies forget about the data they have collected in the past. So GDPR, obviously, GDPR is very, very important. And if you call it GDPR, whatever it's called in California other places, it's all about what kind of data do you collect? Do you have permission to collect it? And consumers always have the right to ask, you know, what kind of data do you have stored? And please erase it if I don't want that anymore. So GDPR compliance is a big thing. Secondly, CCTV, everything with cameras. Um, it's very, very difficult. Um, but this differs from country to country. In the UK, for example, CCTV is everywhere. and People are accustomed to that and there's a cultural acceptance of that. In many other markets in, 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 the, in the European continent, it's, it's way more difficult. People are afraid of that. But the biggest problem, which now just came up in the past two years, are microphones. is Alexa and all this stuff. So especially staff, they're afraid, you know, that all, everything they say, everything they do will, yeah. be, uh, will be recorded, maybe stored somewhere. So we see workers' council really working hard against introducing Alexa devices, even if they want to sell it. So even consumer electronic stores, you know, having a hard time really operating them because their staff or their workers' council say, please, you know, don't put them into action, you know, just do some, 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 some typical things, which is everything stored, but don't don't put them on live um, because we don't want to be recorded. And I don't know if you heard about it, but Walmart just got a new patent last week, or I think it was this week, that they want to install microphones next to the checkout cashier. So they want to tape what their staff, how their staff is interacting with customers. And then they want to rate how good their customers are. And that's always something, that's something where you know, people in Europe, and I also believe in North America, are quite afraid of. Um, so it's always about culture acceptance, how far you can go. And again, it's not the technology, but it's the culture acceptance of how far you can go. But they're cool use cases, no question about it. I mean, communicating with a, with a shelf, you know, getting information about it, having sensors. Um, we do a lot of stuff with touch mapping, for example. I mean, we're, we're consultancy, we don't, you know, we're agnostic on any technologies. We just look what's available there and then we, you know, try to, you know, propose the best technology available, the best solution available to, to our customers. Um, but touch mapping is a really cool thing. Because most, most retailers, for example, only measure at the point of sale, you know, at the cashier. How many, how many of the products did, did I sell up in, this, in this campaign? But when you do touch mapping, you can measure and you can really analyze how often a product has been touched or looked at and even put back again in, in the shelf. So without being purchased. And that's much, much more interesting for retailers, for example. They want to understand why people are not buying a product. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a price point, maybe it's something. But just getting this information using sensors and IoT, that's really, really fascinating.
0: And that is uh, the technology you work with with uh, digital signage?
1: Yeah, it, it's a combination always with digital signage. Digital signage are just the screens with it, and digital signage is just a big digital poster, but the, tape, the sensors are connected to, to, the, to the digital signage in general.
0: You know, one of the things I read uh, about your company is that uh, the end of philosophy is that digital is not the icing on the cake, but it needs to be fully integrated to deliver the ROI. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Oh, this is so important because we've seen so many concepts, retail concepts on museums or airports. You know, there's a great retailer, there's a great design agency, they create a great experience. And then at the end somebody comes, oh, we have to add some digital. And that's always the worst which can happen because nowadays we're talking about customer journeys which begin at home, you know, which includes mobile, which includes internet, digital signage, digital out of home, and all digital touch points at the point of sale. And this story needs to be, you know, fluent stories. It's really, really important. So adding digital at the end what we call icing on the cake is the worst thing you can do because it just looks like something has been added to at the end of the day and you have no seamless user experience so this is really really relevant
0: with regards to customer journey so where does the digital signage fit in along the customer journey
1: well basically in in semi-public and full public spaces um, you know, the best device, you have your mobile phone, obviously, but companies want to address customers they don't know. And if you don't know the customer, you cannot address them on the phone. Yes, you could with beacons, but then you need, a, you, need a, you need an app and everything. So basically, in public areas where you want to address a bigger crowd, you know, one-to-many communication, that's where digital signage is best. And it's a big screen. So it's much easier to evolve and, and talk and, and do emotional storytelling on a big screen than on a small screen. So small screen at the end of the day is the best for transaction, obviously. But beforehand, you need to attract people. You need to tell stories. And then big screens, big LED or even standard screens are much, much better. And to be honest, you know, the most screens you will see, digital center screens, are nowadays 19 to 16, so not 16 to 9. Because if people see a 16 to 9 screen, like a horizontal one, it feels like TV to them. So for them, it's a laid back, you know. So they take a little bit distance and they just, you know, look at it. But when you turn the screen around, it's very simple. Just by ninety degrees, it feels like a digital poster, so it's much more engaging. So uh, these are small things where you can really, you know, interact with your customers and with with the, with the audience, much more effectively.
0: So Florian, tell me, what do you think will be the next disruptor in the industry?
1: <laughs> I've seen so many so many technologies coming coming and going. I mean, we had three D for example. It was horrible. Three D was never meant to put in a, in a public space, you know, because people, 3D is great, or well, people, some people thought would be great to look watch on a 3D, you know, when you sit on the sofa, that's fine, because you're in a fixed distance to the screen, you know, you're in the right angle, so that's fine. But usually people pass by a screen in, in public spaces, in digital science, so 3D never really worked. So forget about 3D. And um, now we had, you know, 4K, 8K, do we really need 8K content and then public screens? No, but eventually we will have it because all screens will have it. So this is things we just have to live with it. But it's not it's not driven by demand. It's just because of the industry, you know, in Korea and China, they just produce four and 8K. So we have to. Live with
0: that. It's just a natural <sighs> progression of the technology. Exactly,
1: yeah, exactly. So where we see the biggest disruptions, obviously, from AI, um, in various forms and um, it's very interesting you know to look what kind of influence ai has in the b2b world because usually most of the ai stuff is done for consumers obviously you know google all of them do this great kit and they do fantastic solutions for for consumers and for web but not for b2b so for b2b you can get a kit from them and then you need partners who really understand the industry the vertical market to take this kit and create new um, experiences new solutions for each industry and, and and we see a lot of ai stuff coming there which is really interesting so um yeah, not only, not only you know, voice commands, which obviously, you know, it's getting better and better with AI, but many other solutions, which are quite fascinating.
0: Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. I think that uh, with, uh, with regards to AI, we, like we were talking about the face recognition technology, as well as the touch sensors, um, analyzing the patterns of people picking things and not buying them. So I, yeah, I definitely agree with you on the AI.
1: Yeah, AI yeah, it's, really, it's really interesting, and, and to be honest, also cheap to implement. That's great, because it's cloud-based at the end of the day, and you usually need some, some, some cheap sensors you, you need to integrate. So it's very easy, and it scales fantastically. So the, we, we see, we see great, great stuff coming up, and, and, and some, some cool stuff really coming. Also, it's doing predictions, for example. With AI, there's there are some some solutions where we can really you know just you know go in a in a in a store you know take a take a little movie with an iPhone and you upload it you know and you get a prediction of where most people will look like will will look at in the first ten seconds when they come to the store. So you know so you don't need these funky research goggles you know where, you, where which is really expensive, very difficult to get good data. At, but we just use standard commoditized you know equipment to really predict how the effects and how the experience in the stores are. I'm really working. That's
0: fantastic. This is going to be such a game changer because I know that being a marketer, you have to be able to understand the customer psychology, what they're going to look at, where where they're going to look at, and if you uh, go back to just uh, um, you know traditional marketplace where people used to have you know their carts out in the market and would arrange uh, you know their fruit and their stuff. And everything would have to be arranged in such a way to catch people's attention. And especially, this is especially important in, in, uh, the real, uh, in the retail space. So this is going to be a game changer because let's say somebody just doesn't have that eye. They don't understand how to arrange items. AI will just do it for them. Exactly,
1: exactly. There's so many small tools already. We, we, you know, we just talked to a dairy company and they just introduced a small, you know, small app for all their retailers, you know, so they can, you know, optimize the way the yogurts are in, in, the, in, in the fridge, you know. That's so something because they say, you know, we, we can do this with AI because you can analyze it immediately and we give you immediate feedback, you know, how to optimi- optimize your, your, your shelf. And that's, that's really cool.
0: I can't <laughs> wait for technology to come out. <laughs> What about uh, augmented reality? Do you see any, any uh, role AR playing in your industry?
1: AR, yes, VR, no. VR is more entertainment focused and you dive in your own world. But brick and mortar retail needs the best of both worlds and AR, AR really makes sense there. And you see it often in, in car showrooms, for example. So you can, you know, walk around a car, for example, which is showcased there. You can look inside. You can see the, how the engine works and everything. You can get this information layer on top of reality, and so AR makes sense. But to be honest, um, AR only works with, to be honest, 25 to 35 year olds, and older older people are still reluctant to use it. They still prefer, you know, a human a human being helping them. And to be honest, that's the case for everyone, you know. If you have good stuff at your point of sale, that's the best thing you can have. And, and maybe you saw what we, we do. We always proclaim, you know, we always say it's not, don't overdo digital. You know, sometimes, you know, digital, you know, doesn't solve your problem. So the best thing you can have is good sales stuff. Obviously, it's very expensive and many <laughs> retailers are not willing to, uh, to, uh, to invest into good stuff. But if you don't have good stuff, try to, you know, support your existing staff with digital devices. So they can be as knowledgeable as a website. But don't try to copy Amazon. You will never beat Amazon on a functional level. So you really need to tell stories. You need to be good where, you know, brick and mortar is really different. We have one really cool cool thing, a fitting rooms. Fitting rooms is one of the most interesting things for brick and mortar retail, the fashion industry, because lighting in fitting rooms is always horrible. Probably the next time you go in there and, 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 and you always see lighting is horrible. It's small, it's tiny, the lighting is really bad. But 70% of the people decide against buying a garment because of bad lighting. And this is this is this is the only where brick and mortar is so unique compared to Amazon and everything you buy online. So just put in some good lighting, you know, and we have done some stuff for some for some fashion retailers with RFID. So you come inside the fitting room and the lighting condition adapts to the clothing you have with you. So you if you buy if you have a suit with you, you know, you get a, like an office light or a TV studio light or something like this. Or if you buy lingerie, you get candlelight lighting. And it's so effective. We have sales uplift of more to eighty percent for 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 a lingerie, for example, because it just feels different. It's that storytelling. That's that's being emotional at the point of sale. And it's just and a tiny,
0: tiny change that you make, and you increase your business exponentially.
1: Exactly. And fitting rooms are this is one of the biggest challenges in North America, for example. Fitting rooms are so horrible. You know, it's always you know.
0: A little, a little tiny closet in the back of the store. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And there's one cool, I just been to New York a couple of weeks ago and Nordstrom opened a new store really close to Columbus Circus, a new one, a new men's department store there. And they have, they really invested great into their fitting rooms. So it's really cool. They even have movable ones. So they say, you know, and on a Saturday, you know, we moved them to a different department because there's demand, more demand for that. And they really have integrated lighting. And so it's not as cool, you know, as I've seen other things, but it, it's already the right way. So they understand how important the fitting room is. And that's where the decisions are being taken. And so investing in the fitting room and making people feel comfortable about it. I don't know if you've heard about, we have in Europe a very uh, cheap, uh, very, very cheap um, fashion retailer. called Primark. They're from, they're from Ireland. And it's very cheap. You pay two, three dollars, you know, much cheaper than Zara or H&M or so. They're really darn cheap. And, um, and they now introduce the first fitting room for eight people. So the teenagers are lining up to go there together. And they can plug in their phone, charge their phone, they have little Bluetooth loudspeakers, so you know, they feel comfortable about it. They have 30 minutes and they, you know, they just you know, take photos of themselves, post them on Snapchat and everything. And then they buy the stuff. It's incredible. So it's just it's a stage and it's just this experience you can offer in brick and mortar where digital really can help. And it's not, you know, it's not we're not talking about it having a display inside the, inside the fitting room. Yes, for some retailers, it could be a solution. But for most, it's not about improving digital all over the place. It's just the small things which really, you know, makes this experience unique.
0: You know, don't you find it interesting that with all this advancement in technology, it all comes back to the human experience?
1: Absolutely. That's why, that's why we're always saying, you know, don't first look at you know, what kind of digital touch points you can add to your, to your thing. But what is your experience? And what is the mindset of consumers? So many retailers and so many, you know, our customers don't understand and don't analyze the mindset. So they don't know what people are coming in when they come. So, do they just want to browse around or do they really want to buy something, you know, like in a supermarket. You go there because you need something, you know, you don't want to buy some milk or some stuff. It's a totally different mindset. But when you go in a Nordstrom, you know maybe just want to browse around on a Saturday morning and just you know look what's happening there. So you need to understand the mindset of your customers and then really you know to design the right customer customer experience. And that's the biggest challenge. Pretty much every single customer has a different customer journey and a different mindset, and you need to find
0: to cluster them and to look you know who's the, who's the most potential potential customer for you. Florian, what keeps you motivated every day? Oh, I love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> it, right? I, I, I do this for so many
1: years. Um, and it's it's always, for me, being a consultant, the great thing is, you know, every two, three weeks, I'm going to a different business. You know, a totally different category, totally different vertical market. So, you know, sometimes it's do-it-yourself, uh, you know, different stores. And then I go to a fashion store, fashion customer. Then it's something about furniture. So it's always, you know, Getting understanding, analyzing in a few hours, in a few days to really understand what the needs of each, you know, retail sector, sector is or a museum, for example, is so different. And then really, you know, understanding and then convincing the customer, working with the customer and convincing him, you know, to, to reassess what they've done in the past, you know, to understand what the customer journey is and then to create new experiences. You know, we're like digital architects. We don't do anything ourselves. You know, I couldn't you know, drill a, a hole in the wall. I wouldn't do that. My wife wouldn't allow that at home, so, <laughs> so I won't do that to my customers. But it's just, a, it's just it's creating this experience together with, you know, with fantastic experts. It's really, it's really driving me every morning. and I love it.
0: Wonderful. I love that energy. So, you know there's a statistic that many small businesses fail in the first year in business. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong?
1: them things. <laughs> when, <laughs> <started>, <laughs> when i started the business 12 years ago um, i did a few things right obviously i also did some mistakes everyone you only get better by doing mistakes to be honest you know there's not a single person that's does right. a mistake um, so but you you need to understand you know what you really want to offer and you need to do a, a good business plan and don't you know don't think you're the best one in the world you're one man show usually in the beginning and you need to you know you need to stick to a few things where you can be really good and then obviously, you know, add expertise. And especially over here in Europe, it doesn't mean, you know, you need to hire people immediately. You just need to have an ecosystem of experts you can take along, you know, to your first customers. And once you have the feeling, you know, business picking up, then you get more and more there. So being focused on where you're really good at and then, you know, and believing, obviously, in your, in your, in your idea. That's really important because especially in the beginning, there are times where people will say, you know, oh, it's not going to work. Or you stand in front of the mirror and say, oh, damn, you know, damn, I'm not a single you know, dollar revenue in the past four weeks or whatever. You know, is it really the right thing? um sometimes you need to, you know, you, you need to wait a little bit, you know, and try to, you know, to move around and, and try to optimize a little bit. But obviously, it's also to understand, you know, to fully, you know, to understand. Okay, maybe I did a mistake, or maybe it's not going the right way. Then obviously, after a few months, you have to decide. Okay, I have to realign my business and, and look which direction really makes sense. And talk with customers. Don't believe that you know more about your customers than your customers. It's never the case. Ask them as much as possible, especially in the beginning. Get an understanding what what drives them and where their pain points are. To be honest, understanding pain points is, is the key to everything. When we, The first thing I always do when I come on a new project, you know, I want to analyze, I want to understand what are the five most important pain points. Because that, I know that's where it hurts the most. But to be honest, it's also where the customer is willing to spend the most money on our, on our services, on professional services. So understanding mm-hmm. pain points is really, really
0: essential. So talking about the mistakes, um, if you could go back in time, you know, turn back the clock, 12 months, what kind of things would you do differently, if any?
1: 12 months, I'm not sure. Three, four years. Um, to be honest, um, we do a lot of business around the world. We focus for the first six, seven years, we only did Germany, then Europe. And um, then customers ask us, oh, could you help us you know, in Russia? Could you help us in China? Could you come to Chile or to Argentina? And so and we did a lot of stuff there, but it's you know, just traveling back and forth and you know, spending so much time on the plane, you lose the focus a little bit. In the beginning it's fascinating, but after a while you get a feeling, okay, um, you know, Better focus on, on one geographical region and grow with customers is fine, but um, you know, try to focus where you're good at uh, you know, content-wise as, w- as well as geographical-wise because it's, it's very difficult to do business in, in various countries. So maybe that's one of the things. And then when you partner up with, with other companies, when you do joint ventures or so, it's always difficult. It looks always fantastic on paper, but uh, operations is always a different animal. Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> isn't it funny how things are always exciting at the honeymoon, but then once things uh, die down a little bit once that excitement dies down, now reality hits and you're thinking all right where do you go from there?
1: especially especially politics never underestimate politics you know of your, you know of your joint venture partners or even your customer side or so so many decisions are taken. Because of politics not because, you know, it's the right thing to do, but because somebody feels it should be that way or some important person there, whatever. So politics plays a huge role. That's something which is very difficult to predict. And you have to be flexible and sometimes also to uh, you know understand, okay, maybe it's 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 you know, we 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 enter the phase, you know, where we should separate again or so. That's sometimes the case,
0: yeah. yeah. Unfortunately that happens a lot. Um, Florian, where are you looking to take this business, say in the next five years?
1: Well, I just said my biggest mistake was to go too fast internationally at the end of the day. That's still the way um, we want to go. Um, I you know, if, if I look, you know, I had you know a couple of years ago I had a lot of employees, you know, and, and you know, and now I'm a little bit back to a core team and I want to keep it that way, but I want to build this, you know, this team of experts around me. And because we work in so many different vertical markets, you always need vertical experts for every single project. And um, that's something I probably want to grow, get more people around me, you know, get this ecosystem of experts which you can hire for certain projects, but which share the same vision and which and people who share the same quality, which is really important. Because you know, if you take them to a customer, you need to make sure, you know, that they deliver what you promise your customer. So that's something, you know, pr- Offering quality to our clients is something which you you always need to improve. And you always need to reinvent yourself. You know, what I offer today or what I'm telling you today, I would have I wouldn't have told you three years ago because technology was different and demand was different. So we don't know. And to be honest, you know, just looking at politics, you know, we have no clue. We have Brexit. We have Donald Trump, we have all of these things, you know, two years ago, the world was completely different and it's very different and, and, you know, just waking up every morning and, 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 you know, reading the the paper and looking at what's happening, you know, it's uh, always very exciting. Yeah, I think we all have to keep flexible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So talking about clients, who would be an ideal client for you?
1: Well, clients usually are um, retailers um, or vendors. Big vendors, obviously, you know, like display vendors, also we really better want to understand, you know, what their customers, what the demands of their customers are, and how to optimize their products and their service portfolio, and to cater to to their to their target group. So that's what we usually work for. So to be honest, you know, ninety percent are probably uh, probably retailers, and we also work for a lot of um, private equity companies who are interested in, in, in acquiring some of these companies. So we do a lot of due diligence because we understand what the demands of markets are, and so. So it's mainly retailers, uh, private equity or the finance community, as well as uh, vendors of the industry.
0: Great. Um, Florian, I know you're a busy guy, I'm going to let you go. But just before we do, how do people find you?
1: Well, it's very easy. It's invitis.de and also .com, but .de is our German website. And the next few days, you will also see some international information there. We also have a cool um, joint venture and if you're interested in this one. Um, we, have, we are doing conferences around the world together with ISE, Integrated Systems Europe. Uh, we just had our last conference two weeks ago with 500 people attending and we have more conferences coming up in Mexico. So I will be in Mexico mid-August. Uh, we do conferences in Moscow and Dubai and, and Amsterdam and many places. And so we're coming, we're coming close to where your uh, viewers hopefully are and, uh, and just, uh, and just you know, educate them and, and, and show what's, what's possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, are you going to be in New York anytime soon?
1: Oh yeah. I'm in New York every, every couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, uh, all, I, I let right you know, now. maybe
1: we can have, we can have a coffee or so.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Uh, Florian, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? <sighs> Difficult. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, be yourself to be honest, you know, don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to copy anyone and um, be yourself, be unique, be original and yeah, just I think that's that's the most important thing, and and then you have that's a, at least for me the recipe for success. You know, be be honest and, and, and help and and try to you know help your customers and don't try to convince them something you believe is the best, but try to listen to them and then help them. You know, getting better every day.
0: Well, to quote Gary Vaynerchuk, just do you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Florian. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. And uh, thank you for joining the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Have a great day.